Hello, and welcome to episode number 10 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I'm your host, Exoacadamian. Slowly but surely, and with increasing pace in recent years, the human population is waking up to the idea that our world is being visited by intelligences from elsewhere. As our sensor systems grow ever more refined with each technological iteration, and the planet becomes increasingly populated with increasingly high-definition cameras, the evidence for the presence of these others will undoubtedly only grow, forcing, at some point, you would imagine, a true reckoning by human civilization. At some point, as a society, we'll need to openly ask this question of the UFO phenomenon. Who are they, and where do they come from? At one point in human history, the answer to the question as to the origin of these visitors seemed obvious, almost to the point where the question didn't even need to be asked from many people's perspective. If they weren't human, then surely they must be from out there, meaning outer space, and more specifically, from some other planet located within some far-flung star system within the Milky Way galaxy, or perhaps some other galaxy entirely. This argument is known as the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But over time, several considerations combined to cause this assumption as to the origin of these others to be called into question. First, there was the understanding that the sheer distances involved in such travel were so, pun intended, astronomical, that the notion of transversing that distance in something like a spacecraft seemed unlikely even if such vehicles could approach the speed of light. Secondly, the data regarding the nature of the appearances of these others seemed peculiar. Sometimes they appeared as nuts and bolts, quote-unquote, craft, with rumors circulating even of crash retrievals from such vehicles going back 70 years now, while at other times they seemed to appear more as manifestations of light or of hyperspace kinds of objects that could transform shape right in front of an observer's eyes. And then thirdly, there is the contributing factor of our evolving sense of the nature of the cosmos, the very fabric of reality itself. In the last 100 years or so, science has postulated not just the three plus one dimensions of reality we're familiar with, but something more like a matrix of 10 or more dimensions, as one finds described in string theory. Thus, the notion of reality being a fabric of fixed space, where travel always necessitated movement from one fixed point to another fixed point in one physical universe, began to be called into question. Add to the mix that these others looked rather humanoid, and that they, in some form or another, may have been here all along, going back into the depths of human history and beyond, has led some to postulate the source of these others as being not so much merely extraterrestrial as interdimensional. But what does this term mean exactly? Is this a reference to the extra dimensions posited in string theory, or to the notion of a multiverse, or something else entirely? These are issues that are perhaps just as complex to unravel as they are intriguing to engage with. But that's exactly what we'll attempt in this, the 10th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. Now, first off, you may have noticed the peculiar title of this week's episode. 
From Whence They Came, A Closer Look at the Extraterrestrial and Interdimensional Hypotheses. That word, whence, is an interesting one. It's an old English word. You hardly ever hear it anymore. But the reason I used it is because it has a double meaning. It can mean where as well as source, and that's particularly apt for today's discussion. And why? Because to remind you of something Jacques Vallée said that we quoted in a podcast on another episode, the evidence suggests that the way they manipulate space-time suggests they could be from anywhere and any time. And indeed, Jacques Vallée uh, came to believe that the extraterrestrial hypothesis was too limited, too simple an explanation to explain the fullness of the data. And he wrote in the book Dimensions, quote, I have carefully kept my distance from researchers who claim that UFOs are interplanetary visitors. Such a conclusion is not only premature, but is contradicted by several basic facts that become apparent only when one takes a historical perspective, unquote. Figures like Jacques Vallée and a man like J. Allen Hynek that he worked with were in some ways ahead of their time in postulating alternate hypotheses to explain the origin of these others. Vallée went on to spell out his objections to the ETH as a singular and complete explanation of the UFO phenomenon. After all, he didn't reject it entirely. He just didn't think it took into consideration all of the data. And he spelled it out in a piece he wrote called Five Arguments Against the Extraterrestrial Origin of Unidentified Flying Objects. And what I'd like to do is just go through this piece that Jacques wrote to outline the five objections, because I think they do a good job of demonstrating why uh, this hypothesis alone doesn't really take into consideration all of the data. It's not sufficient alone. In the opening abstract to this piece, Jacques writes, quote, Scientific opinion has generally followed public opinion in the belief that unidentified flying objects either do not exist, the natural phenomenon hypothesis, or if they do, must represent evidence of a visitation by some advanced race of space travelers, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, or ETH. It is the view of the author that research on UFOs needs not to be restricted to these two alternatives. On the contrary, the accumulated data base exhibits several patterns tending to indicate that UFOs are real, represent a previously unrecognized phenomenon, and that the facts do not support the common concept of space visitors. Five specific arguments articulated here contradict the ETH. Number one, unexplained close encounters are far more numerous than required for any physical survey of the Earth. Number two, the humanoid body structure of the alleged aliens is not likely to have originated on another planet and is not biologically adapted to space travel. Number three, the reported behavior in thousands of abduction reports contradicts the hypothesis of genetic or scientific experimentation on humans by an advanced race. Number four, the extension of the phenomenon throughout recorded human history demonstrates that UFOs are not a contemporary phenomenon. And number five, the apparent ability of UFOs to manipulate space and time suggests radically different and richer alternatives three of which are proposed in outline form as a conclusion to this paper, unquote. 
These are good points, don't you think? Let's take them one at a time. Number one was, quote, unexplained close encounters are far more numerous than required for any physical survey of the earth, unquote. And this is interesting from my point of view, and it somewhat shows how our perspectives change over time. But go back to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and the notion was that perhaps aliens were traveling across vast distances of space via some sort of speed of light or faster than speed of light travel, and that they were here basically to survey the earth, like a scientific expedition, basically. And that that would mean things like documenting the species of the earth, perhaps the evolutionary state of those species, and documenting the geography and topography of the world. But that doesn't really hold up when you think about how many encounters there were. And we're talking both about UFO sightings and apparent abductions. There were so many of these all around the world that if really the aliens were just here to survey the earth, that just doesn't really hold up. And remember, that's just counting the reported sightings. For every one reported sightings, there's probably 10 that go unreported. Okay, on to number two, which was, quote, the humanoid body structure of the alleged aliens is not likely to have originated on another planet and is not biologically adapted to space travel, unquote. And what Jacques is pointing to here is that the features of these aliens were remarkably humanoid. And we know that species basically evolve to be better adapted to the environment from which they're from. And so the humanoid structure hints at perhaps something much more terrestrial, like maybe they were from here, or at least from perhaps another Earth, perhaps a parallel dimension Earth. Because again, the humanoid structure just is strikingly similar to our own. And then there's also the question of whether or not that kind of body type is best suited to interstellar travel. That is a less compelling argument in my, in my point of view. But nevertheless, the humanoid structure definitely gives you pause, makes you think. Number three was, quote, the reported behavior in thousands of abduction reports contradicts the hypothesis of genetic or scientific experimentation on humans by an advanced race, unquote. And what Jacques is getting at here is something we've touched on on several occasions on this podcast. It has to do with the absurd nature of some of these experiences, some of these interactions. When you think about an advanced scientifically minded species like Vulcans on Star Trek, for instance, then the kind of procedures, the bizarre kind of occult-like uh, procedures that are conducted upon people just doesn't really seem similar to that, not at all. And so again, that makes Jacques question this notion that they're visitors from elsewhere here to do scientific expeditions. And number four is somewhat similar, or at least it touches on a similar point. It is, quote, the extension of the phenomenon throughout recorded human history demonstrates that UFOs are not a contemporary phenomenon, unquote. And again, what he's getting at here is when he actually looked back at distant human history, even in religious texts and whatnot that inspired religious belief and the creation of dogma and things like that, he found that there was remarkable similarity, especially when you get past some of the facade nature and look at the underlying undercurrent uh, source. 
it seemed very similar to the point where Jacques concluded that perhaps the same phenomenon has been interacting with us throughout human history. And as we talked about before, this may even been about them evolving us, managing our evolution. And number five was, quote, the apparent ability of UFOs to manipulate space and time suggests radically different and richer alternatives, unquote. And what Jacques is getting at here is, why limit yourself to the notion that these are space travelers from some far-flung planet who came across vast distances to merely do a scientific survey of the Earth, when the manipulation of space and time suggests you can draw from a much bigger pot. Again, as you said elsewhere, they could be from anywhere and any time. And multiple dimensions and multiple worlds come into play. All sorts of notions that go far beyond the simplistic traveling across space from one fixed point to another come into play. And as I mentioned earlier, Jacques Vallée and people like J. Allen Hynek and even people like John Keel, who suggested similar ideas, uh, were very much ahead of their time. But as science has continued to develop, to evolve, and to propose new models of the universe, then these notions of perhaps these being interdimensional travelers has gained even more steam and is taken even more seriously now than it was when Jacques originally proposed these ideas. And that leads us to the next section of the podcast, where we'll discuss this notion of interdimensionality. What does this mean? Well, interestingly, as I just touched on, science has come to embrace this notion. And why? Well, it really comes down to numbers, to mathematics. In science, when you can't test something directly, uh, you propose models, mathematical models that make sense of all the data. And when physicists began to generate these models, they found that things just made more sense, were more elegant, worked well together, when you at first proposed one additional dimension beyond our three spatial dimensions and one dimension of time. And this led to another dimension and another dimension, again, because this worked better with the math, until eventually you came up with a notion like string theory, which proposes 10 spatial dimensions and one dimension of time. So if these additional dimensions exist, where are they? Why can't we see or perceive them in any way? Well, physicists assume that they are incredibly small, almost unfathomably so, coiled up in the smallest elements of reality. And this would explain why we don't see or perceive them, of course. I would also suggest that other kinds of dimensions might exist that are not just non-perceivable because they're so small, but because they just are beyond the bandwidth of our perception. I would suggest that just as a chameleon can change its color depending on its environment, there may be intelligences that can do this in terms of manifesting visually, physically, within our own band of perceived dimensions in our 3D plus one space. And this could be done either via advanced technology or perhaps by some innate evolutionary ability, as I've discussed on a previous podcast. In fact, that might be what's going on with entities like we see at Skinwalker Ranch. And just to be clear, it's not so much physicists who are making that last point. I'm making that point, that there very well may be entities that exist right here and have always been here, but have the capacity to move in and out of our perception. That's what I'm suggesting. 
And we can think of a dimension in this way. Now, in popular culture, when we hear discussion of parallel universes or multiple dimensions, that refers to a couple different ideas in science. One notion is that of membranes, and this is a model that's been postulated even more recently than string theory. The idea here is that you may have multiple 3D experiential universes. And think of these like sheets of a newspaper, and each universe is a sheet of that newspaper. And picture an ant walking along one sheet. That's all it's aware of, all it can interact with. But on a different sheet of the newspaper, a different ant is walking along, and never the two shall meet. In fact, they aren't even aware of each other. So what science is postulating here with the membranes theory is that there may be a total nine dimensions. So that's the totality, which contains within it multiple 3D experiential universes. So single sheets of paper and the whole newspaper. Think about it that way. And again, in terms of our topic today, this could work, right? If this is true, if this turns out to be actually an accurate description of the totality, you have a multiverse, which is actually membranes of individual universes that might be really close to each other, but still separate to those beings inside each universe. But what if these others have found ways to punch holes between the different sheets to transverse that distance from one sheet of the newspaper to another? That may be what's going on here. That's another notion of interdimensionality. Another way that we can think about interdimensionality that actually has to do with science is the notion of a model called the many worlds theory. And this was proposed by a man named Hugh Everett in the 1950s. And what he proposed was shocking and revolutionary. And yet as time has gone on, it's held its ground. Uh, it seems to be supported by the experimental data. What Hugh Everett proposed was that every time you come to a point where a decision is made, the universe basically splits in two. That there's a universe where you ordered a burger and there's a universe where you ordered the salad. Yes, indeed. And how often does this happen? Apparently very, very, very often, almost unfathomably often. Every time uh, a decision is made at any point in the universe by any conscious being, uh, the universe basically splits into two copies of itself. And this goes on and on and on and always has gone on. Now, admittedly, this is a little difficult to wrap your head around at first, and it goes against our notion of common sense. But again, over time, we found time and time again that science doesn't follow a notion of common sense. In fact, it's our notion of common sense that changes with uh, advanced scientific understanding. Now, the many worlds theory is an extension of quantum theory. And basically what Hugh Everett was trying to do was to make sense of what we see happening in the quantum world. And what do we find when we look at the quantum world, when we study that micro level of reality? Well, we find things that just don't make any sense whatsoever. They go completely against our notion of the way that reality works. Namely, we find things like a single atom can be in two places at the same time. That's a notion called superposition. And this is where we come to the observer effect. Perhaps you've heard about this. It's extremely bizarre. 
The idea is that it's only when an observer actually looks, makes a measurement about the location of that atom, that it actually chooses, you could say, one place over another. It is the act of observing itself that collapses the waveform and actually makes the decision point. Again, very strange, goes against our common sense, and yet this has been proven time and time again. And without getting too far into the weeds here, what whoever is basically proposing when it comes to this quantum world is that every time that the atom, for instance, chooses one place over another, it moves from superposition where all we can predict is a range of places it could be and actually chooses one or the other. Every time that happens, basically the universe splits in two. That's how often this happens and that's how this gets resolved, that every time this happens, that something like an atom moves from superposition into actually a finite position we can measure, the universe splits in two. Uh, one universe where the atom ended up in place A and another universe where the atom ended up in place B. So perhaps you're asking yourself, how in the world does this relate to our topic today? What does this have to do with the others, the visitors, these potential aliens? Well, if you think about it, at any time in our history, in our long history, in the history of the universe, or even the history of the earth, one universe may have split off from another. And so perhaps these others are actually other versions of us or other versions of sentient beings, uh, humanoids that walked the earth at one point and at some point split off into a different dimension, a different universe itself. And that perhaps these beings have the ability to transverse that gap between the two universes. And if you think about it, this would resolve the issue that Jacques Vallée raised that we discussed earlier in this podcast. Why do they appear humanoid? Why do they appear almost like they are native to the earth? Well, this would explain it. This would explain how they could actually be evolved creatures from something like the earth, just not our earth, an earth in a parallel universe. I mean, the more you think about this, the more it makes sense, at least potentially. Think about some of the different kinds of alien creatures we've discussed on this podcast in previous episodes. The mantids. Why do they look almost exactly like praying mantises from our world? Just a lot bigger. Or the reptilians. Why do they look a lot like lizards crossed with human beings? Again, this could be because they share a distant history with us. But at some point, the universe is split and they have evolved one way and we have evolved another. Now we have to remember that these notions we've discussed today are based on science's most recent understanding of the fabric of reality itself, at least its most recent postulations. And this understanding is growing year by year and we're making fairly gargantuan leaps from decade to decade. In other words, you can guarantee we'll learn even more that will inform our understanding of where these others may be coming from. But already we see a very rich and fascinating tapestry of possibilities emerging. A couple final points I'd like to make. First off, again, whether these are interdimensional or not, this doesn't preclude the idea that they may also be extraterrestrial. They may be coming from a vast distance as well as crossing dimensions or coming across a vast distance 
from a different universe, but also popping in from one to the other. So again, even these notions of being this one or the other may eventually collapse as we understand more. It's also important to remember that the phenomenon is not just one thing. We use that term to describe the totality of various phenomena, but it's important to remember that it is actually phenomena. And so in that sense, we may have both of these things going on. We may have some visitors who are interdimensional in nature, while others actually are from our own physical universe and have found a way to transverse those great distances. Indeed, to take this even further, there may be entities, and we have evidence of this actually, who are more based on light. They are not really physical in structure whatsoever. And these kind of beings may actually exist in multiple universes simultaneously because of their makeup, their different makeup. And in that sense, we might use the word intradimensional to describe them. That would actually be more accurate than interdimensional in this case. In other words, we're likely dealing with a plethora of possibilities, a plethora of realities. And this will likely only get more fascinating the more we learn. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. And as I like to say, let's keep this conversation going and growing. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe, whether you're listening on a podcast platform or on YouTube. Please like this if you enjoyed it, if you found it intriguing and thought-provoking. And please share with others who you think may be interested in these related topics. Until next time, from deep in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exoacademian, signing out.